I want to share a faith story this morning, and, and it's a familiar story, but it's something that has been uh, so tremendous in my life in these last couple of months, and, and Dan asked me if I would share it with you this morning, and um, it, it's just such a powerful story. Some of it will be, um, will be so familiar to you. Um, Oh, I, I'm just going to pray. Lord, thank you for this morning and this time together. And I just ask that your Holy Spirit would speak and that you would bless every one of our hearts. I know my life has been so encouraged in these last few months by this faith story that is in your word, this story that you have written, this man who tells the story, this man that laid aside everything that weighed him down, everything that tangled his feet, and he ran with endurance the race that was set before him, and he fixed his eyes on God. He didn't realize, I don't think, that he was fixing his eyes on Jesus Christ, though sometimes I think maybe he did, because Jesus Christ is so much a part of every single faith story. The author and the perfecter, the completer of our faith. So we, we just want to fix our eyes on you, and we want to hear your voice this morning. In your name I pray, amen. This man was born to be a savior. He was saved at birth, and he knew in his heart that he had been born to be a savior. He was raised in the home of his enemy, and in the home of God's enemy and the enemy of his people. Who would write a story like that? Only God would actually raise the Savior in the enemy's home. And at, the, at a point in his life, he, he had everything. He had power. He had education. He had wealth. Um, but he knew in his heart that he had been born to save his people. And when he attempted to do that in his own strength, it failed miserably and he was only able to save himself at that point in time. Who knows who I'm talking about? I bet you all do. The man named Moses. I want to just tell you, I'm going to go through his story. It's in the book of Exodus. If you've never read it, oh, I just encourage you to, uh, to read through his story. Just sit down with God and Moses <laughs> the book of Exodus. Um, when Moses fled from Egypt, he fled to a foreign land, and there he was content. He met a man, Jethro. He married his daughter. They had a few children. And for the next 40 years in his life, he was content to shepherd the sheep of another man. He didn't even own the sheep, and he was fine with that. When God appeared to Moses, and he said, I'm writing a faith story of deliverance on this earth for my people and you are a part of that story. And this is your faith story on this earth. And Moses said, no, thank you. I think I'll pass. I think there are other people who would be more qualified. But um, it's hard to say no to God. Thank goodness, huh? Thank goodness <laughs> that he's relentless in his love. He's unfailing in his love. And he holds on to me um, no matter what and to each one of us. And so Moses said, no, thank you. And God said, yes, thank you. And so the journey began. 
And Moses went to Egypt, and you know the story. You've maybe seen the movie. I haven't seen the movie. Movies like that scare me. I don't know. I, I'm not big on Lord of the Rings either, though I loved the books. But anyway, Moses, he goes to Egypt, and you've got the plagues. And if you really stop and think about those plagues, they were really horrible things. I mean, just imagine that this room is so full of gnats that no one can even open their mouth. I mean, they're all over you, or, or flies, or every time you open a kitchen cupboard, frogs, a whole t a dozen frogs, or 20 frogs, I don't know, jump out at you. I mean, this was a journey, these plagues, through blood, and it was gross. Do you all still use that word? That was a really big word when I was growing up. And so... Um, so we go through the plagues, and then we get to that last plague, and we see the lamb that was slain and the blood that was shed to save the sons of God's people. What a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. The more I read through the Old Testament, the more I find Jesus on every page and God's love on every page. And so the children of Israel leave the land of Egypt and they enter into a very terrifying, a very terrifying wilderness. And it's not long before they get trapped. The Red Sea and the Egyptians, Pharaoh is inspired in his heart to just go kill them all. And so he sends his armies and they are trapped. And what a horrible night of terror that was. The darkness falls and the, the fog, the mist, the cloud that falls over hundreds of thousands of, of Israelites and the whole Egyptian army and separates the two. And I think about recently in Colorado Springs, we've had some days of incredible fog where you just don't want to leave the house because it is so thick. And that's what fell on top of Everyone And between these two people and the darkness was so thick that the Egyptian army, these warriors who are ready to slaughter these helpless people, they are paralyzed in the darkness of God because the darkness is not dark to thee. Even darkness is as light to God and God's got a plan. And so we know what happens. These winds, these incredible winds Come. It's like the winds that cleared the water after the floods. And the winds come and part this sea. And it is an incredibly terrifying night. And the children of Israel walk across the Red Sea and into an equally terrifying wilderness. Well, they get to the other side of the sea. They worship God. But then the journey keeps going. And you know the first thing that happens if you've read the story. They're thirsty. They've traveled three days. Okay, Red Sea, parting, worship, amazing. God is amazing. Three days later, we're all going to die. We're, we're, there is no water. But up ahead, I'm sure the scouts that, that went before them found water. And so they came back with a message that there's water. We're fine. We're okay. All their children, their livestock. I mean, you really have to get into the story to understand that it's not just like they were thirsty. It was, was serious. But they get to the waters and the waters are bitter. 
oh, hope that is so disappointed. Have you ever been there in your life where you saw, you, you had such a need and then you thought you saw the answer and then you got there and the water was bitter and it was not what you thought. And the people cry out and God tells Moses, take a branch and throw it in the water and the waters become sweet. And God says, this is my message to you. I can protect you. I can take care of you. And I can turn the bitter water into sweet, living, life-giving water. Zacharias tells us, he says that, my servant, the branch, who takes away the sins of the world in one day. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And Moses threw that branch into the water that day. Okay, so we got to keep moving. So they, they go through the, the wilderness. The one leading them, he is the rock. He is the bread of heaven. He provides the everything that they need. He is their living water. And God, in all those instances, he has a message. I am your healer. I am your provider. I am your savior. I am your rest. I am the Lord your God. So the story leads us to Mount Sinai. To put on my glasses there. And we get to Exodus chapter 19. And this is an un unbelievable picture. Everyone is there around Mount Sinai and they are worshiping God. And God appears to the people. And he comes down and this is what God says, he says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples for the earth. All the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Oh, what a beautiful message from God. Do you know that same message is, is voiced by Peter when Peter says to you and to me that you are a royal priesthood, that you have been chosen by God, that you are a treasured possession to tell the world through your life, just through who you are as Jesus Christ lives in you, that you are that message of hope and grace just like the children of Israel were a treasured possession. Revelation 1, 5 says, Now to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins and has made us by his blood and has made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. Ah, the message is the same, isn't it? Don't you just love that? I do. I just love that. So back to Exodus, we get to Mount Sinai and its revelation, its glory, its worship. Um, wherever God is writing a story, I just want to say a story of faith. The enemy is there to attack. The children of Israel, they receive the Ten Commandments. Beautiful words of life and righteousness and hope. They're really not as heavy as we, they get, they get kind of a bad rap. But when God says don't murder, that's like a good thing. 
um, when you read through, this is, these are like good, good things that set this nation above the nations all around them, where you could just murder anybody on any given day. It just didn't, it just didn't matter. So we get these wonderful laws and the people celebrate and they love God and they make a promise with God. And then there is something that as many times as I have read through the scriptures, I wonder how many times I have just read through this verse. At this point in Mount, on Mount Sinai, it says that Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, I don't know if I say his name right, and 70 of the elders went up the mountain. Everybody else is down below. They've heard these beautiful promises of God. They've made a covenant with God. And God brings up these 74, right, people, Moses, Aaron, Adab, and Nabihu, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 elders, and they go up on the mountain of God. And there they saw God. I don't know what that looked like. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone. This is so like revelation, isn't it? Like the very heaven for clearness. And they beheld God there, and they ate and they drank. Have you ever read Exodus and just skipped through that verse? That these people went up and ate and drank with God? I don't know what it looked like. It was a God thing. It was a, a table prepared for me by God in the presence of my enemies, in the wilderness. It's, it, is it the, the, the feast, the, the marriage feast of the Lamb? I, I don't know. It's just, it's remarkable. And it's after that, they go down the mountain and God calls Moses up on the mountain. And he's there for 40 days and 40 nights. And there God gives him this beautiful, fabulous design for the temple, for the sanctuary, for the tabernacle that they will build. And that when they get to the land, God says, I promise you that when you build this beautiful place with these beautiful fabrics, and of course, you know I love this because I'm an interior designer. I mean, I love this section of Exodus because everything is covered with gold and it's carved and the fabrics are gorgeous fabrics of purple and, and scarlet and blue and every detail. There is nothing left to chance. It is all in the details. And when I do a remodeling job for someone, I drive my contractor crazy because it is all about the details. And I know this client and I know what they want and I know how they're going to live and work and operate in this kitchen or in this room. And it is all about the details. And yes, you have to rip out that pantry for the third time. Um, God, these are beautiful chapters, beautiful chapters. And I think God Almighty is so thrilled because he is going to dwell in the midst of man again. He has not dwelt in the midst of man this way since the garden. And when we think about creation and the detail of creation, God is so excited. And that is what is happening on the mountain. God is giving Moses the plans 
for this gorgeous tabernacle. But we know what's going on at the foot of the mountain. And they've left Aaron in charge. And the, the 70 elders are there. And they're, they're kind of layers of leadership for the people. And so you've got hundreds of thousands of people. But, but you've got th these thousands of, of, of leaders and men of, of respect. And, and uh, Moses is gone. And it says that... Their faith is attacked, and the first thing that happens is that they are afraid. Because the weeks go by, 40 days doesn't sound like very long, but when, you're, when fear starts to grow, you know how fast fear can grow? I don't, I don't know if you've ever been in a place of fear, and, and you just it's amazing how quickly you get overwhelmed, and you make decisions that... It's like you're just sort of out of your mind. And that's what happens at the bottom of the mountain. And the first thing is the fear. Weeks pass by. And I don't know at what point in those 40 days that the fear started to really take hold. And they started to wonder and they started to discuss. Probably every morning they would go to Aaron. Where is Moses? What's happening on the mountain? And maybe Moses is dead. And then that leads them to believe that if he's dead, that God has abandoned them. And now we are down in this wilderness and we don't know where we're going. Nobody gave us a map or a plan or a destination. And so now we are down here alone in this wilderness and Moses is dead and God is gone and the fear just grows and the longing in their hearts. And don't we all have that longing to know that we are safe? to know that God loves us, and boy, the enemy loves to attack that. And so the, the longing for someone to lead us, who will show us the way? Who will lead us to a place of safety? And then the pride. The next step is pride. Well, if Moses isn't coming back, if God has left us, if we are lost, we need to solve this ourselves. And so we come up with our own solution we come up with a way. The unseen presence in this story is the enemy. Anywhere that God is working, anywhere that God is doing great things, anywhere that people have committed themselves to loving God and following God, the enemy is always there attacking faith. And so we know, we know what Aaron does, right? Who can tell, who can tell me what Aaron does? Everybody wake up. Yeah. I believe he makes a golden calf for them to worship. He does. He does. So they come up with this great idea. And they go, okay, everybody's got lots of rings and earrings and necklaces and jewelry and all kinds of gold and silver. Because the Egyptians kind of threw this all at us when we left Egypt. Um, and uh, so let's just collect everything. And so they, 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 they spread the word through the camp and the people start filing through and they give them their gold and their earrings. And, and so Aaron takes it and he fashions this idol out of gold. He, he melts it down and he carves it and he shapes it and whatever you do. And, um, and he makes an idol. And then he presents it to the people and he says, Behold, Israel, here is your God that led you out of Egypt. And I'm standing over here. And I'm saying, 
No, it's your earrings. <laughs> it is not your God. It is your earrings and your necklaces. But they bow down. They, they present offerings and they bow down and they worship this God, these gods, whatever this was. And, and then it turns into a drunken orgy. Well, meanwhile... <laughs> Moses is up listening to God and, and they're getting these beautiful plans and they're excited about this tabernacle. But God knows exactly what's going on at the foot of the mountain. The author of the story is always in control of the story. How many of you have read Tom Clancy? You know, he just passed away recently. It's just us old folks. And you guys in school, you don't have time to read Tom Clancy. But, but he, he writes some wonderful, um, you know, books. Huge, very complex stories, most of them. And it's kind of like Tom Clancy waking up in the morning when he's right in the middle of a story. And Jack Ryan is the, the savior of the world, right? I mean, he's so great. Anybody vote for Jack Ryan for president? I did. Because um, he's just, I don't know, he's just such a great character. Anyway, Patriot Games is a great one. Um, anyway, okay, I won't go into that. But it's kind of like Tom Clancy waking up in the morning and he goes to his desk where he's right in the middle of a novel and he looks at the last page he wrote and he goes, oh my goodness, Jack Ryan is in such a mess. How did this happen? Now what am I going to do? How is he going to save the world when he's in a Russian dungeon? Okay, we won't go there, but God is never out of control of your story. Sometimes we feel it though, don't we? We wonder if anybody knows what is happening to me. And this morning when I wake up and life looks impossible and hopeless, and I'm wondering if anybody knows how out of control this story feels. But God tells Moses in detail while he's on the mountain exactly what's happening down below. And God is so angry. Because idolatry is betrayal. And you know, I, we, we don't think in terms of idol worship. It's just weird to us. But an idol is anything in your life that, that compels you. It guides you. It influences your decisions. It's something you set your hope in. It's something that you are longing for. That you are afraid if you don't get it, you won't make it. You won't be happy. It can be education. It can be a job. It can be something in your family. It can be a relationship. We are pretty able to turn almost anything into an idol without even realizing that suddenly it is compelling me. It is controlling me. It can be an addiction. It can be something that becomes so strong in my life that I order my entire day around that. Um, and so God is so angry because it is such a betrayal of the promise that they have just made. And remember that, the, that Aaron and these 70 elders were just on the mountain with God. Like, what were you doing 40 days ago? Can you remember? Probably. 
But here they are, worshiping this idol and involved in this drunken orgy. And God says, I am so angry. I could wipe out these people and we could start over. Well, Moses, he doesn't know what's going on. And he says to God, God, calm down. He says, don't get so upset. It can't be that bad. He hasn't been down there yet. And don't we say that sometimes about sin or, you know, things in our life? We go, God, you read it and you read in the Bible, you know, don't do this. And you go, wait, that can't be that bad. I mean, what I did, it can't be that bad. You know, God's not that mad. And so we rationalize it or we excuse it. And then Moses says, the second thing he says, after God calmed down, Moses says, <laughs> well, if you, if you get so mad, if you, just, if you just wipe us all out, what will the Egyptians think? So isn't that the next thing I say sometimes? It's like, well, what will people think if they find out about this? And I'm more worried about what people think than I am about what God thinks. So Moses goes down in, on, from the mountain, and we know how he, he throws the stones, right? Do you remember what Moses does? He throws and he breaks the stones. Anyone want to just call out and say? Yeah, he just shatters them. He's so angry. And then do you remember, he, he takes the golden idol. What does he do? Yeah. Yeah. And then he kills a bunch of people. Yeah. Moses, he takes this idol and I, I'm thinking he needed some help. I'm thinking this was kind of a big deal. I mean, if you try to imagine what this really looked like, he takes this idol and he melts it down and then he grinds it into powder, which had to be kind of hard. And then he throws the powder on the water and he makes the people drink it. And he says, this is the God that you were worshiping. It is now gone. What a visual. What a visual. This is what I think of your God. This is what I think of what you have placed your faith in besides God. And so Moses turns to Aaron and he says, what did they do to you? <laughs> I'm just wondering, what did they do to you? And Aaron, of course, he blames the people, right? He just, he comes up with all, he's like, you know, it's not my fault. Um, we got this gold, we threw it in the fire, and a golden calf came out. I mean, it's an interesting scenario. And uh, it always makes me think of Andrew, my son. Um, I'm not sure exactly what age he was, but I went in his room one morning, and he was in his bed reading. And I looked over, and there's this giant spot of, of blue ink on the carpet, and I asked Andrew, I said, what happened? It wasn't there the night before. And he goes, I don't know. I don't know. I was sitting in my bed. And the, the pen just exploded across the room. I, I have no idea. I never did actually get the true story of, um, of what happened with that pen. But Moses... Um, he listens to Aaron and, and I think just shakes his head. We know that Aaron repented because we see Aaron later on in the story. <laughs> he did live. Um, because Moses, you see, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life 
in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Moses says to the people, this is an evil, I mean, they know. They have watched him melt it, grind it, and they have been drinking it. And they are looking and listening. And there's a huge circle of people. I don't know how many thousands, but everyone is aware in the entire camp. And Moses simply says, everyone who is on God's side, come. Come. Can it really be that easy? But that was great, isn't it? it? That was such an incredible message. And they came, and they came in waves, but they came. But thousands upon thousands did not come. They stood there and they looked Moses in the face and they said, We will not come. We will not repent. We will not bow down and serve God again. But the message was, come. Isn't that the message of Jesus Christ? Just come. My grace, my grace is free. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son into the world to die for us that we might have life. Well, on this day, God brought out the sin that had been hidden in the hearts of the people. Moses is stunned at this point. And Moses says, what am I going to say to God? When I go back to God, what am I going to say? Now what do I do? The shame, the regret, the guilt, and the fear. And Moses goes to God, and this is what he says. This people has sinned a great sin. And they have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, and that's a big if. But if not, then blot me out of your book. I just want to end the story now. This is it. Let this be the last chapter. And basically what Moses is saying, God, I don't know how big your forgiveness is. Is it big enough for this? With all the shame, with all the regret, with all the guilt that I face, is God's forgiveness big enough? When I feel despair and self-condemnation and hopeless, and all of these things flood my mind, and the enemy tells me, God can't love you anymore. God has abandoned you. And on that day, Moses asked that question, if you can forgive. And God answers it for all of us in the context of this passage. And God says, yes, I will judge because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is life. But then, Moses receives a revised plan for the journey. And God says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send an angel 
to lead you. But my presence will not go with you into the land. And boy, the people realized. It says that when the people heard this message, that it was, a, it was disastrous news. It was a disastrous message. And they mourned and they grieved. And they looked back and they remembered what it was like when they had started out on this journey and how Moses would pitch a tent, the cloud would lead them by day, the fire by night, and then they would stop and Moses would pitch a tent and go in and God would talk with him and, and then they would move on. And now God says, my presence will not go with you. And so the people mourn and grieve. And Moses spends some time, I don't know how long, but I know he was searching his heart and he's wondering, what am I going to say to God? How am I going to present my case? And he's searching his own heart. I think this is such a huge time in the life of Moses, such a purifying time. And have you ever um, had something really huge that you wanted to talk to a parent or um, a professor uh, someone in authority over you. Have you all, you, you know, and you know how you get your, your argument all set before you go and you think it through and, and you think, okay, how am I going to say this? What am I going to say? How am I going to convince this person? I'm going to tell him I really didn't deserve an F and this is why, and I'm going to explain, but you guys don't get Fs because you're USC and Chico and, and so, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, or I really need this. Uh, how you need more money in your bank account from your parents? Anybody relating to? <laughs> so Moses thinks about what am I going to say and how am I going to approach God um, because of this disastrous news. And Moses goes to God and this is what he says. He says, see God, you say to me, and these are, these are, from, these are words from the Bible. This is not my paraphrase. See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know who you will send with me. You've told me an angel's going, but I don't know this angel and I don't know his name. So who you've told me we're going, but you have not told me who is going with us. And then Moses says, now you've also said this. So do you ever do that where you quote what they've said? That's a really good tactic. Um, where I go, well, you know, you said this, so I did that. So Moses says, yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Moses knows that God is a personal, intimate God. And that he, know, he says, God, you know me by name. You're a Psalm 139 God. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, before I speak. You know everything that's happening that God is a personal God. So you know my name and I have found favor that you love me, that I mean something to you, that I'm important to you. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you. In order to be loved by you, to find this favor in your sight, and don't forget that these are your people too. I love the way he sort of tacks that on. And by the way, don't forget that these are your people. So Moses presents his argument and he says, you know me and you've said that you love me. 
And I don't want to follow an angel. I want you to go with us. I want to know your ways. I don't understand what's going on. And God answers him. And God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. It's immediate. When you ask God for him, when you say, God, I want you, the answer is yes. You don't have to wonder, am I praying according to the God's will? What does God want me to do? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. But Moses doesn't get it. Moses says, wait, let me say it another way. And he says, uh, if your presence won't go. So Moses starts arguing it. So when I've, when I've confessed my sin, God says, you're forgiven. And I go, wait, wait, wait. It can't be that easy. We got to do something bigger, right? It's just too easy. And so Moses restates it. And he says, because I just want you to know how important this is. Because if your presence doesn't go with me, then don't bring us up. He says, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other person on the face of your, the earth? It is the presence of Jesus Christ in your lives, in our lives, that makes us distinct from every other person on the face of this earth. And Moses says, God... If you are not going, then I don't want to go. Because you see, for Moses, suddenly, this journey, this faith story, it's not about being a great leader. It's not about successfully delivering these people to the land and, and finding our way. It's not about what do the Egyptians think. It's not about what anybody else on earth thinks. It's not about doing a good job. It's not about getting to a land and receiving lots of blessings. Moses says, no, this, is, this journey is only about you, God. It's only about walking with God. And all I want is you. And that is the place where God wants to bring each one of us. And it's a journey. It's not something that happens Overnight, but it's a part of giving my heart. It's laying aside everything that entangles me, everything that trips me up. It's running with endurance. It's fixing my eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of my faith. And it's, it's saying, I want to know God in a way that most people never know Him because it is His presence and God says, this I will do. And Moses asked God to see him. And remember, God says, no one can see my face and live, but my goodness will pass by you. And I will be gracious and I will show mercy. And you cannot see my face. But then God says this to Moses. Behold, there is a place by me for you where you shall stand on the rock and my glory shall pass by and I will cover you with my hand 
until I have passed by. And then I will take my hand away so that you can see me as I, as I go before you and you will see my glory as I pass before you. I don't know about you, but I want to be in that place. I want to be at the sight of God. I want to be standing when God says, there is a place by me for you. Every single one of you. He puts your name, my name in there. There is a place by me for you where you can stand on a rock, that rock of Jesus Christ, and I will cover you with my hand. I will shelter you and you can follow me and see my glory as I lead you on this journey. That is my heart's desire. That is a beautiful faith story of Moses, one of them, one part of it that he leaves with us. I'm going to let Dan come up and just close us with some discussion. listening, I was just thinking of several questions here, and what I'd like for you to do is just maybe again, just kind of turn to each other in groups of twos and threes, and just for a moment discuss a couple of these questions here. One is, do you feel like, you know, that your story is out of control? I mean, are, are, you, are you in a place where your story feels like it's out of control? And second is, you know, if you could... You know, just ask God that question about, you know, I'm not going to go forward now without you, you know. And, and, and you know, maybe just talk about, you know, what, what's going to take for you to just come to that point where you ask God, I'm not going to go forward without you. Because it's all about you. You know, and I want to bring you into my life. And I want, I want to be a part of that. You know, where you're coming in and you're kind of reconstructing for me. And then, then the last part of it here is I want you to think about this as kind of a meditation and, and just kind of discuss your reaction to this question. The, the thing that Moses asked is really kind of a scary thing. Because in Exodus 33, he says, show me your glory. And God says, all right. And what, what Moses didn't realize was that God not only showed him his glory, but he transformed his life, but he didn't even realize it. Because when he came back down the mountain, the people looked up, and Moses was transformed. They just looked at this aura and this light coming out of him, and he didn't realize that God had changed him just by having seen his glory. You know, and would you, would you be willing to ask God, Take the risk of asking God, show me your glory. You know, we try to do all sorts of things to change ourselves, to make our appearance better, to make our testimony better. You know, we try to clean up our act, get it together, and, you know, become more disciplined and all these sorts of things. But really, the way you're, you're changed is when you see God. Okay? You know, so I just, I, I've thrown out several of these questions here just for you to reflect upon. But, you know, would you just kind of get together in, in kind of groups of two or three here and just kind of talk about some of these reflections, some of the things that, 
you know, kind of going through your brain that God is kind of, kind of touching your mind with and heart with. And uh, let's just talk about them a little bit and process out loud with one another, and then we'll close in prayer.